When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plants, it's time to Hemp Present. Our radio resident Hempo Sapien, Vivian McPeak, will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to Hemp Present about hemp and cannabis from the legal, activist, and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak. Hello, my friends. I am Vivian McPeak, and this is the Hemp Present Resistance. I am the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event, the Seattle Hemp Fest, speaking flower to power for 29 years and found at hempfest.org. I am also the author of the book Protestable, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle Hemp Fest, also found at hempfest.org. This show is a weekly read for Radio Rebellion, where I speak with some of the principal risk takers, movers and shakers, and history makers of the cannabis industry, culture, and reform movement. If you have feedback or would like to suggest a guest or topic for Hempresent, email me at hempresent at gmail.com. Today's guest on Hempresent is Paul Armentano. Paul has over two decades experience working professionally in cannabis policy. In addition to being the deputy director of Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Paul also serves on the faculty of Oaksterdam University, where he is the chair of science. His writing on cannabis and cannabis policy has appeared in over 1,000 publications, scholarly and or peer-reviewed journals, as well as in more than two dozen textbooks and anthologies. He is the co-author of the book, Marijuana is Safer, So Why Are We Driving People to Drink?, which has been licensed and translated internationally. Paul Armentano is also the author of the book, The Citizen's Guide to State-by-State Marijuana Laws, available from Whitman Publishing. Paul is the 2013 Freedom Law School Health Freedom Champion of the Year and the 2013 Alfred R. Linda Smith Award recipient in the achievement in the field of scholarship. He is the 2019 recipient of the Alhorn Memorial Award to advance the cause of justice presented by the Normal Legal Committee. And after that bio, we now go to our first break. Just kidding, Paul. Welcome back to the show. Hey, it's great to be here and talk with you today, Vivian. Uh, my pleasure, man. Uh, a lot of science has come out since you were last on in 2016, so it is great to have you back. Paul, alcohol is involved in 40% of traffic deaths. It impacts the central nervous system. It can affect reaction time, death perception, night vision, coordination, 
And alcohol, alcohol can instill a false sense of confidence in a driver under the influence. My question is, can we compare the effects of cannabis with the effects of alcohol and driving, or do we need to look at the two entirely separate? Well, they are both mood-altering substances, and both cannabis and alcohol can influence the way one operates a motor vehicle. The key, though, is that the manner in which alcohol influences driving performance is very different in many ways than the way cannabis influences driving performance. Probably most significantly, we know that drivers under the influence of alcohol tend to drive in a more aggressive fashion. They make more lane changes, they tend to tailgate more often, they speed more often. Conversely, those individuals who are under the influence of cannabis, whether they're performing on a driving simulator test or whether they are behind the wheel in an actual on-road performance test, tend to drive in just the opposite fashion. They engage in more cautious driving behavior. They engage in more compensatory driving behavior. They make fewer lane changes. They drive more slowly. And when asked, they tend to be underconfident in their driving performance. In other words, when they are asked how they think they are performing, they tend to say they are performing worse then they are actually objectively driving. Again, just the opposite uh, response we see individuals under the influence of alcohol say. This is arguably why when we look at all the data, we see that individuals, even with legal levels of alcohol in their blood, are about four times more likely to be involved in a motor vehicle accident compared to drivers with no alcohol in their system. By contrast, drivers with THC in their system tend to have about a 25 to 30 percent elevated risk of accident compared to drivers with no THC in their system. So while there is some elevated risk associated with cannabis-positive drivers, it is nowhere near the level of risk we see associated with the use of alcohol, even at legal limits. Well, that's fascinating. And, and I think it's safe to, say, to, to, to assume that driving is probably the most dangerous activity that most people engage in on a daily basis. Um, and of course, nobody should drive impaired on anything. We just get that uh, straight out there. Um, Paul, field sobriety tests for blood alcohol concentration, which is the indicator of impairment, include a breath test. What are the current methods for detecting driver impairment from cannabis, and are they reliable in your opinion? So there is a couple ways law enforcement currently goes about trying to determine if someone is under the influence of a substance other than alcohol. So while we can highlight marijuana, the fact is the techniques that are used by law enforcement to identify whether or not someone's under the influence of marijuana are the very same techniques that are used to determine if someone is under the influence of benzodiazepines or opiates or sleep-inducing drugs or any number of other controlled substances, whether they be legal or illegal, that can influence driving behavior. Uh, Certainly, there's the use of standard field sobriety tests where individuals on the side of the road uh, perform a number of different tasks, such as the one leg stand, the walk and turn uh, performance tasks, many of your listeners I'm sure are already familiar with. 
There's also the use of drug recognition evaluators. These are specially trained police officers that undergo a curriculum that theoretically at least allows them to perform different types of performance and cognitive tests and some physiological tests as well uh, that allow them to determine with some level of certainty if a person is under the influence of a class of drug other than alcohol and to identify what those drugs are. Now, neither system at this point in time is far from perfect. The field sobriety tests, for instance, have only been validated to identify individuals who are under the influence of alcohol, not under the influence of other substances. And as mentioned earlier, the way cannabis manifests itself in many ways is very different and in fact the opposite of the way that alcohol manifests itself. So the idea of using a test that has only been validated to identify alcohol to similarly identify someone who may or may not be under the influence of cannabis is certainly not an ideal science. In many ways, I would argue it's junk science and in fact, Certain courts and judges in different jurisdictions around the country are looking at this issue, and many are now weighing in on it. The use of drug recognition evaluators has a bit more of a basis behind it, but again, this is far from an exact science at this point. I would argue that there is a need to use additionally validated performance measuring tools, adding those components to the DRE evaluation, modifying the field sobriety test so that we are using much better and accurate and sensitive tools uh, when law enforcement are trying to identify these sort of drivers. We do not have the equivalent of a breath test for cannabis, uh, nor do I think we will. Uh, the pharmacokinetics of cannabis, what that refers to are the absorption patterns and the way cannabis is metabolized after it's ingested are very different than they are for alcohol. And for that reason, we do not have, nor do I believe will we ever have, a sort of quantifiable threshold where we can say, this amount of THC in a person's blood or breath is indicative of impairment, and this uh, percentage is not. Uh, marijuana simply doesn't work like that. Uh, alcohol is, in fact, unique among controlled substances, and that is why we have these limits and thresholds for alcohol, but we don't have them for cannabis or opioids or benzodiazepines or any of these other substances that we know also influence driving behavior. So if I, so if I'm getting this right, what you're saying is with alcohol, if a, a hundred pound or a 200 pound person consumes alcohol, it's, you, you can pretty much predict the level of impairment that they're going to have uh, across the board. But with cannabis, people have different physiologies and absorption rates. And so it's not as predictable, right? It's, you can't, you can't say, well, this person smoked a half a joint 25 minutes ago. They're going to be this level impairment. So with alcohol, we have two components. One, we have a lack of variability. So as you just said, we know that if a 100-pound man drinks a pint of alcohol, we can predict with some specificity what their blood alcohol levels will be one hour later, two hours later, three hours later. 
In addition to that lack of variability, we also have decades worth of science that consistently correlate the presence of alcohol at certain levels in blood with impairment of performance. So we know, for instance, that somebody that tests for, uh, at a blood alcohol level of say 0.08 or 0.10 is generally somebody who's no longer going to be able to perform psychomotor skills safely at that level. With cannabis, we don't have either one of those factoids. We don't know when a person inhales THC what their THC blood levels are going to be with any specificity 15 minutes later or one hour later or two hours later. In addition, when we do quantify the level of THC in blood one hour later, two hours later, 24 hours later, we cannot make any sort of correlation with re or prediction with regard to that person's performance based solely on that THC blood level. In fact, we can't even back extrapolate to estimate the time when that person was last exposed or last consumed cannabis based on that THC blood level because, again, there is such a great degree of variability uh, with regard to how different people metabolize THC. Fascinating. My guest is Paul Armentano. We are going to take our first break and come right back, so don't go anywhere. Time to roll out for the people that let us hemp present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Candid. Captivating. Compelling. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Welcome got to Cannabis Confidential. Oh, you got me again. All right. Got you, again. you got me again. Welcome to Cannabis okay. Confidential. Ah! <laughs> hey, we did it. We did it. Yeah, Welcome. I have the coolest guest today. You guys already know. The one and only Tommy Chong. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Cannabis Confidential. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or eight years old. You can still learn something that's gonna make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The concierge for better living with Doc Rob. 
only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. We're back on Hemp Present with Paul Armentano. Paul, we often see news stories stating that a certain percentage of fatal crashes, uh, for example, are from drivers who have tested positive for cannabis. Frequently, drivers will have both cannabis and some other substance, be it alcohol uh, or illicit or prescription drugs in their system. What are your thoughts about the reliability of those connections? Can those reports be misleading? Well, they're highly misleading. Uh, Unfortunately, prevalency uh, tells us nothing about accident risk. In order to measure accident risk, we need to calculate an odds ratio. We need to determine what is the likelihood that somebody that engaged in this specific behavior is more likely or less likely to have a certain outcome, like a traffic accident, as compared to someone who didn't engage in that behavior under the same situations. And we have dozens and dozens of studies comparing THC positive drivers with THC negative drivers under these same circumstances to determine odds ratios. That's how we know, as I mentioned earlier, that individuals who are THC positive on average have about a 25% to 30% greater risk of a motor vehicle accident compared to those who are THC negative. Again, some level of risk, but nowhere near the level of risk we see associated with alcohol or even, for instance, driving with multiple passengers in the car. That more than doubles one's risk of a motor vehicle accident. So all this prevalency data tells us is it gives us some snapshot as to the popularity of cannabis. We know that many individuals in our society use cannabis. We know in legal jurisdictions there's been an increase in the percentage of adults using cannabis. And we know that THC in particular can remain detectable even in blood for periods extending beyond seven days in some habitual users. So what we see in certain legal jurisdictions is an increase in the percentage of drivers testing positive for THC. That tells us nothing about whether these drivers are at greater risk of an accident, whether they were involved in an accident. It simply tells us that there's a certain percentage of the population that's engaging in cannabis, which is something that we already know. We've also seen in Washington State and in Colorado and some other jurisdictions an increase in the percentage of drivers testing positive for THC. This is most most often touted as problematic. But the reality is this prevalence is increasing because procedurally there have been changes in the way we address this issue. For instance, Washington State, when they legalized adult use of cannabis, also amended their traffic safety laws. They passed for the first time a five nanogram THC per se limit. That is a new violation of the law that didn't exist before. That has led to an increase in toxicology labs testing individuals for THC to see if they are in violation of the law. 
there was also a procedural change in Washington State. Prior to legalization, if somebody was involved in a traffic accident and found to be under the influence of alcohol, there was no further toxicological testing that was performed. After legalization, those same labs for the first time began to test drunk drivers for the additional presence of other drugs like marijuana. So these changes in the law, these changes in procedures, greater emphasis by law enforcement and awareness of drug driving, all of these factors have contributed into this increase in prevalence. But this doesn't mean that there's actually more drugged drivers or more drivers under the influence of marijuana on the roads now than there were before. The data simply doesn't tell us that. Look, a real world analogy. If I go fishing in a lake on Monday and I bring one fishing pole, one hook, and some bait and fish for three hours and walk away with three fish, but then I come back to that same lake on Tuesday and I bring three fishing poles and a fish finder and a whole set of lures and I fish for three hours and I catch 12 fish. That doesn't mean that between Monday and Tuesday, the number of fish in the <laughs> pond exponentially increased. It means I had a more effective and efficient means of catching fish. And that's what's going on in these states. Well, is there any science indicating how long someone should wait before driving uh, after using cannabis? There is, in fact. Uh, like with most things uh, surrounding cannabis, we are actually inundated uh, with peer-reviewed science uh, providing us with guidance. In this particular case, there is quite a bit of data looking at how long it takes before a person's psychomotor performance returns the baseline after inhaling cannabis. And in general, uh, what we call the acute impairment phase, the time when one is most likely to engage in changes in performance compared to their baseline is about 20 to 40 minutes after inhaling cannabis. After about 60 minutes, individuals' performance tends to begin to return close to baseline, and within about three to four hours, their performance typically returns to baseline. That's why several experts in this field have estimated about a three to four hour wait time window uh, after inhaling cannabis before one would engage uh, in driving. Some more cautious experts in the field have uh, recommended waiting a bit longer, maybe even six to seven hours. I would simply have the caveat that all of those estimates apply to inhaled cannabis. We know that when an individual orally consumes cannabis, that the effects of cannabis are much more delayed, and then the overall effect of cannabis could be much longer. Uh, so in, certainly in those instances, a person should wait far longer prior to even considering operating a motor vehicle. Uh, and I would also caution that the data is very clear and consistent on the fact that one's risk of accident increases dramatically when cannabis is used in combination with alcohol. Uh, that is a very bad idea from a public safety standpoint, uh, again, when one looks at the data. 
Paul, we have about two minutes before the next break. How about tolerance and driving? A, a medical cannabis patient might take huge amounts of cannabis every day and might have adjusted their blood levels to some degree, where a novice or an infrequent user might just get really baked upon just a, a few tokes or a few dabs. How about tolerance and driving? Yeah, cannabis tolerance is a real phenomenon. Uh, there was a fascinating review that was published about a year ago uh, that looked at every uh, human clinical trial uh, that's assessed cannabis tolerance over the last uh, couple of decades. And yes, it does uh, affirm that individuals who use cannabis more often than those who are fairly naive to cannabis have a much more sort of blunted response to cannabis. They become tolerant to many of the effects of cannabis, including cognitive effects and including psychomotor effects. Uh, that is why, again, there's many experts in this field who opine that uh, patients who are using a consistent dose of cannabis over a long period of time uh, become tolerant to many of the effects of cannabis, including those on driving ability. This is why, notably, uh, Marinol, which is oral synthetic THC, which has been FDA approved, available by prescription since 1985. If you look at the FDA warning for Marinol with regard to driving, it does not say never operate a motor vehicle after consuming Marinol. What it does say is do not operate a motor vehicle until the patient has become acclimated to the effects of Marinol and can drive a vehicle safely, acknowledging the reality that cannabis tolerance exists. Fascinating. My guest is Paul Armentano, who I think is one of the smartest people in cannabis. We're going to take another break and come back for our final questions, so don't go anywhere. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Trends and technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more on the cutting edge of cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The cutting edge of cannabis. Consulted by the American Cannabis Company. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at shoogies.com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Dazed and infused. Join sugar industry expert Latham Woodward for a happier hour each week for a lively and often hilarious discussion on the infusion of cannabis into food, beverages, and life. Explore exciting new culinary landscape trends with fascinating friends and guests who are leading the industry into the uncharted mainstream. Discover curated menus, enhanced cocktails, and live tastings. Life's a little sweeter here on Dazed and Infused. We're back to Hemp Present, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, 
Vivian McPeak. We're back for the final segment with Paul Armentano. Paul, I know quite a few people actually who are convinced that they drive better when they're on cannabis. They believe that they are more aware, they might drive slower, and that cannabis improves their driving. You kind of alluded to some of those things in the first question. What would you say to somebody that thinks they drive better on cannabis? Uh, They don't. Uh, It's certainly possible that there are outliers who may. But again, when we look at the totality of the data, we see that individuals under the influence of cannabis tend to have a greater accident risk than those uh, who are THC negative. Particularly what we see is individuals under the influence of cannabis, they tend to weave. Uh, more than they do when they're not under the influence of cannabis, and they tend to have some slower reaction time. Uh, They also have some uh, issues with what we call sort of critical tracking, this idea that it is more difficult for them to perform or navigate multiple tasks at the same time. Uh, These individuals, particularly in driving simulators, tend to focus Uh, almost entirely on what's going on in front of them on the road, uh, but not, they have more difficulty focusing on events that may be taking place in their peripheral vision. So at the end of the day, we know that these users tend to be aware of these issues. They tend to try to compensate for them, again, by driving more uh, cautiously. But at the end of the day, it wouldn't be fair uh, to say that they are better or safer drivers any more than it would be fair to say that someone under the influence of alcohol tends to reach their destination uh, faster than they would when they were sober and therefore is a better driver. Because <laughs> they might be speeding. <laughs> Paul Armentano, Deputy Director of the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Thank you for your critical work, Paul, and thanks for being on HipPresent. Thanks so much for having me, Vivian. Certainly, if your listeners want to learn more about this issue uh, or learn more about marijuana advocacy in general, I'd encourage them to go to the normal website at norml.org and read as much as they can on this issue because knowledge is power. Indeed. Hempy Trails. Now I'm going to get to a weekly feature. Thank you. Hemp present on canvasradio.com, and that's the quote of the week, and here it is. It's because there is an amazing propaganda machine in this country. Don't you think? I mean, it's propaganda, a propaganda machine that makes us actually believe we live in a democracy when we, don't, we know we don't live in a democracy. It's a propaganda machine that talks about us living in a free country when we know we don't live in a free country. You're free to do whatever you want as long as it doesn't go against what the government wants you to do. So how are we going to turn this around? I say things like this. The Seattle Hemp Fest are the way we're going to turn things around. Keep doing what you're doing. And those are the words of Woody Harrelson, 2001, from the Seattle Hemp Fest main stage. That includes this installment of Hemp is in on Cannabis Radio. I want to thank Brasco, my man of the control room, and all the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. Join me next week for some more reefer repartee and cannabis confabulation with some special hempo sapien on a journey to justice as we silence the violence, increase the peace, and promote unity in the cannabis community with impunity. When it comes to prohibition, you have the right not to remain silent. Activism activism requires a voice, so find your voice and speak up for justice. Until then, my friends, stay strong, speak truth, and take it easy. Turn up the music, maestro, because I'm out. Marijuana! The 
opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.